After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thanks for listening to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast and Facebook Live broadcasts are all sponsored by Baseballism, the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. That's B-A-S-H-I-P. And visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. John Manuel and J.J. Cooper with you again on a Tuesday morning. J.J., a four-game playoff, four-game day in the MLB postseason is a glorious thing. And we had a variety of games, all kinds of outcomes. Two teams are, two series are on, two series are uh, continue today. We've got no, uh, one series scheduled. continues today. Yeah, the one today. We got one game scheduled today with Cubs Nationals. We'll see if there's even a game today. Weather in the Chicago area. Nationals fans keeping their fingers crossed for rain so they can <laughs> get an extra day. And no offense to Tanner Roark, but they would love to see yes. Strasburg for Game Four with their season on the line. And then we have a Game Five. We're guaranteed one Game Five with the uh, uh, American League series between the Yankees and the Indians. JJ, you decide where to start because all four games yesterday were just uh, had a lot of drama and a lot of all four games had interesting stuff happening. Where do you want to start? I, I, I want to start with Astros Red Sox. The funny thing about that, the one the one downside of four games in a day is unless you were a you know if you were not had a rooting interest in the first NL game of the day, if you did not have a rooting interest, personal fan interest in Nats Cubs, yeah. You probably did not see the first few innings of that game because I know I didn't because it was I, hard. You, I mean, the Red Sox, the Red, Red Sox Astros was compelling theater, right? And uh, but that Red Sox Astros game had so many things to chew on. But to summarize it at the end, and we'll chew on some of the things. But to summarize it at the end, the better team won. The lineup that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just Im- almost the Relentless. irresistible force. In the end, won it. And the reality of it is, is that while there were many fascinating decisions in that game, when it's all said and done, whenever whether you think that Kimbrel came in too late or not or whatever, the the Red Sox had the you know had the guy on the mound that they wanted to have on the mound with a lead with a lead, and the Astros said, you know, nope, not good enough. That's basically what the Astros said. Alex Bregman said. Not good enough, Chris Sale. Uh, but uh, you know, but one of the when you go big picture, I think you're absolutely right. Astros are the better team, the better lineup, the good hitting, be good pitching. I'm wondering if that's one of the other uh, themes of the postseason for 2017. Is that good hitting beats good pitching? Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we have a lot of postseason to digest yet. Um, that hasn't been true necessarily in the Cubs National Series. That has been an old school, old style starting pitching is, is ruling the day postseason series but for me uh, you know the Astros Red Sox coming down to sale versus Verlander 
was just crazy Just good. like everyone expected yesterday. And, and uh, <laughs> Justin Verlander, I think it's 402 major league starts, the 46 starts in college, the 20-something in the minor leagues, the 7 for the college national team. No relief appearances. He said, and he said after the game, never in high school either. Oh, I'm sure Goochland uh, probably didn't have a good enough rotation at Goochland High to, for him to. Uh, I know he's from Goochland. I'm not sure if it was Goochland High, but uh, outside of Richmond and Virginia, yeah, their rotation couldn't have been deep enough to keep him out of it. So, uh, the, and I guess he was handled responsibly. Yeah, so I was going to say him. if he didn't come in relief. Props if... to Tony Guzzo, his coach at Old Dominion, for never bringing him in in relief either. But uh, but AJ Hinch did it, and I actually just heard him talking about it and. Uh, he said, you know, he he just it was the weather forecast was a part of it, JJ, as we were talking here when we were watching it yesterday. And he said that if the original plan was, if there's a rain delay, we're bringing them in after the rain delay is the bridge. But when the storm cell kind of broke up and it looked like they were going to be able to keep playing, he just said, well, you're ready anyway, you know, mentally, let's get you in there with the lead. And then, of course, Andrew Benintendi greets him with a two-run homer, so it didn't it didn't work out. But Chris Sale not working out. Uh, the big question there, JJ, is, again, you, you alluded to it. I, I think the thing that gets me about how managers use their bullpens and stuff is when you get off schedule, when you get off your plan. And we've seen it, and we saw in the Dodgers-Diamondback series, Dave Roberts stuck to his plan. Tony Singrani got right late, so Tony Singrani became their left-on-left guy, one of Which, their first the left-on-left guys. Slight, slight aside, yeah. credit to the Dodgers who saw something with Singrani, who said, we can fix the problems he's had, yeah. and so far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. And, they have, and then they went out and got Singrani and Tony Watson. So they have two weapons in their bullpen from the left side. More credit to Kenta Maeda, who's become... I mean, we've talked about this on other podcasts. Who is the Dodgers bridge pitcher in the eighth inning to get to Jansen? It's been Kenta Maeda. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, I I love that. Uh, my favorite moment, really, actually, of the whole playoff so far was that little post-game video of Sandy Koufax going into the Dodger clubhouse to hug it out with uh, Clayton Kershaw. That's just That just makes me choke up as a baseball fan. I'm, I'm like President Elizondo. I mean, emotional today, you know, so... Uh, uh, it's my son's birthday, so I'm a little emotional. But I mean, like that was just a, such a cool moment to see Kershaw and Koufax together like that. But the the Dodgers have Dave Roberts has his plan. Here's how I'm going to use the bullpen. And when teams get off script, I think we've seen things go a little sideways. I thought the Red Sox got off script. JJ, the, their bullpen success in the second half has been Addison Reed, great pro scouting. They targeted him, used him. He's been really effective as their bridge guy. And then Kimbrell, and Kimbrell was available, and Kimbrell wasn't good yesterday, A, and B, I think they went to him too late. Right. Uh, we were both both said before anything, the Bregman homer. And we both tweeted. like We both tweeted, like, Sale, you had gotten more than you could have thought you were going to get out of Sale yesterday. Yeah. And it went, it was a bridge too far. It, you know, it, his velo was down, his location was off a little bit. He looked tired. And, yeah. and he still gave you, what, four scoreless until that eighth right, inning. Right, so, it, it What I'm saying is it's not that he didn't pitch great, not that it was that that it seemed like they were asking him to do a little more than really probably they should have asked him to do. Right. Again. Now the question is going to be, is this going to be the uh, last move? Is that going to be the last move that, that John Farrell makes as Red Sox manager? And that's a crucible of a, of a medium major market. League, and major league managers are are basically hired to be fired. No and question. this is this is the we've seen this example in multiple occasions already. I know that the Twins ended up re-upping Paul Molitor, right? But 
the fact that Paul Molitor wasn't re-upped. Yeah, the fact that he was there was a, a couple days there of him uh, on the vine, but where he was unsure whether he was coming back or not. Right, it is a sign of just how tenuous a major league manager's role is. Is you okay? Well, yes, we had the first pick in the draft last year. This year, you led the team to the playoffs. Well, let's talk this over whether you should be back next year. I mean, JJ, this is a bigger question and not exactly earth-shattering revelation here, but it's just amazing to me how when we were growing up, you knew every major league manager. I'm not sure you knew who the general managers were back then. No, it's now the stars are the general managers, not the managers. The managers almost just like transient. Um, you know, it's it's obviously it's a very very different era. Um, I'm not even I'm not judging it, but it's just so stunning in a way that really the front offices. I don't know. Is that as true? I mean, it doesn't feel like that's as true, like say in the NFL. No, in the NFL, I, the coach still really is a big right. deal, and often has significant say in personnel. That just doesn't seem like it's the way it goes in baseball. No, and um, very different in that regard. The the thing about it is also though is is that what stands out with that also is is that I do feel like the game of baseball is changing so rapidly. Yes, like we again. That's what I want to. If you want to unpack. True. What we saw yesterday, we're, we, we don't want to go over it, we want to glance by it too fast. What we saw yesterday was in the, in the Astros-Red Sox game, we saw two managers who this was in essence treated like this was game five in Omaha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was something where if you said, year, if you said a decade ago that a team that had a 2-1 lead in the series. Yeah. Instead of saving their ace for game five. Right. Which, by the way, instead would bring him in in relief, a guy who'd never relieved in his Ever. life, in the middle of an inning, never relieved in his life, in the middle of an inning, with a lead, not because, you know, but with a lead to say, let's try to get this to, a, to the back of our pen. Yeah. There was no, I mean, again, this is different than, this is not Randy Johnson coming in in relief at the end of the World Series where you go, there's no other game for him to do. This is, we're this, using. And this is the first round of the playoffs. Right. We're, we're not even in like we're, this. We're not even in the championship and, championship series, not to mention the World Series. The, the point is, is, and I'm not saying that this is, I, I mean, I do think that there is something to be said that basically we are further along in this when I, when this playoffs started I was predicting you know like look you'll see very few pitchers who will ever go through the lineup three times I didn't think we were talking that that the Indians last year would have gotten us to this point where we're talking about that basically every game is viewed as okay let's just look around which pitchers can pitch today yeah. oh we'll figure out starters and we're looking at now starters <laughs> with the Red Sox now that they're done we're looking at it's like well they actually used David Price more because he relieved and he got more outs than starters for them. Again, I still it's think crazy. I still think these situations are more unique than I, I don't think we're. At, I, I'm not ready to. I'm not as far down the road as you are. I mean, the Astros pitchers that they where they were in these situations were Charlie Morton and Brad Peacock. Mm -hmm. Those were their starters. They didn't treat the game that way when their starters were Verlander and Keuchel. The Red Sox treated it that way when their starters were Fister. They did. They treated Price that way because he was hurt all year. Mm -hmm. And also, I do think Price's, I don't know if they've said this or not, maybe I missed it, Price's personal postseason history, I think, is a significant factor. But the other part of the blending we haven't even talked about is, who uses a windup anymore? <laughs> what starting pitchers? Danny Salazar, David Price, all these guys come out who are starters, 
they're from the stretch from 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 Jump Street. So there is this blending. I don't think it's just the usage. I think it's the pitch usage. I think it's all of it. It's you see in my mind, it feels like you see more relievers who are three pitch guys instead of one or two pitch guys. So uh, because you're going, even if you're going through a lineup one time, even if you're just going through a lineup for three or four. Uh, batters. So the blending between starters and relievers, I still think that 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 bigger trend, I definitely agree with. But the Cubs National Series is a perfect example, JJ, of where they left in the starter too little, um, whether it's because of the hamstring or what. Uh, in in no way <laughs> do I, as a manager, ever take the ball out of Max Scherzer's hands if I don't absolute if I'm not absolutely sure I'm giving it to somebody who's his equal or uh, as good. Like a, a Sean, du- it's got, you got to be one of my best relievers. Take him out of the game with a lead. I'm not taking that guy out for offense. Sammy Stinkin' Solis. No offense, Sammy Solis, USD great uh, from days of yore and yesteryear, and a great guy. You know, orphanage in Africa. Uh, his family's involved in there. He's a great guy. But come on, and, and this is not, I guess, uh, out of character either. This is not a new trend where Dusty Baker gets criticized for his postseason bullpen no, handling. But, but I will say this. They're not losing that series because of Dusty Baker. They're losing that series because they can't hit. And this is a team that was such a good offense all year. I argued several times it was the best offense in the National League. I still think it was. But in this postseason series, they have been stymied by the Cubs. Uh, and I think a large part of it is their own doing. There's some tight, tight players in that Nationals clubhouse. Right. I, I, yeah, I, I do think I, – I don't think – I think that this is a, a – taught series and it has been dominated by the pitching in general yeah. I mean I mean that's just the reality of it and even in like the Cubs heroics in the late innings you know like hey I, I if you want to say that you shouldn't pitch to Rizzo there I, I follow the logic yeah, oh yeah at the same time I also follow Dusty Baker's logic when he says it's not like he roped a stinging line drive right he, he went the other way he got the bat on it it found a hole. If that's what you remember as a Nationals fan of Jason Worth's long career there, this pop fly, high pop fly in the short left center field that he doesn't even get to. And then, the, I mean, how can that fall in? In that situation, how is there nobody selling out? Uh, I know there are a lot of Nationals fans who are very frustrated with Jason Worth on that play and, and Trey Turner on that play, not Trey Turner's series being as it has been offensively. Oh, it's been it's been horrendous. It would be decided. You know, I think the perfect description for now would be disastrous. Would be a fair. Yes, you know I he's, you're he's right. a. And the thing about it is, is what's rough about this is, is this is something that happens to most every hitter at some point yeah. in a in a season. Oh, it's happened it's, to every hitter in their lineup basically, with the exception of uh, I guess it's Zimmerman and Daniel Murphy or have multiple hits. I think no one else in the whole lineup has more than one hit. So maybe it's Michael Taylor. They're they're hitting. I, I think I saw this stat. They have the worst batting average in the history of postseasons so far in this series. Like if the series had ended after three games, they'd have the worst batting average in the history of Major League Baseball postseasons. That I mean, I'm not. We have to check with Keith Olbermann if this is true for the 1884 whatever the Union Association. He's our 19th century expert. Um, like uh, it's ridiculous. No team has ever been as futile in the postseason. As the Nationals offense. And the thing about and it is, they have talent. But with that is, is that that is where, when you again we say that managers are disposable, if you're Dusty Baker, okay, you can move a guy around in the lineup, yeah. but they've got a pretty set lineup. You're not, these are not guys that you're saying, you know, Trey Turner doesn't have it right now. Okay, let's bench Trey Turner. Because 
You, you the really... thing is, they actually do. I would actually argue they do because they've had so many injuries all year that Wilmer Defoe got a lot of at-bats. Howie Kendrick got a lot of at-bats. They did. Adam Lynn had a lot of at-bats. Those are three guys, in my mind, who are like, that's one of the reasons the Nationals were so good this year is the strength of their bench. They actually do have options. I think that they have the option of playing uh, Howie Kendrick, who's a contact hitter, a veteran. Uh, I'd, I'd play, I would play one or two of those guys, J.J., to stir some stuff up if I were the Nats today, especially against Arietta. I would go Adam Lind in left field over uh, Jason Worth. You're clearly not losing anything defensively, even with Adam <laughs> Lind, who I've been comparing Seth Beer to all summer, uh, in left field. So, And he's a lefty bat. And I, I think you have to think about Defoe at shortstop because Turner is struggling so significantly. So they have options. I think Kendrick's a legit option. So I, I think the Nationals bench is their strength. Those guys are, with the exception of Turner and Defoe, all the rest of those guys are veteran guys. Um, I think they have to do something to, to switch stuff up because they are in a collective funk and they have options on their bench that are legit options that you can't – Jason Worth is not going to go in the, in the Dusty Baker's office and say, you can't bench me for Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick's legit. He's really good. If you put him in left field, Jason Worth is going to have to be a veteran and say, I'll be ready when you call my number. I would I would stick with them and maybe I'm wrong but uh, I would I would dance with the I would take my regulars and, and I'd say those are those guys Lind and Kendrick especially Kendrick since they got him from Philadelphia is one of the main guys that brought you I would definitely play him today um, Yankees Indians we have the complete flip yeah we have the complete and total the last time Luis Severino takes the mound Luis Severino gets an out yeah. The last time Trevor Bauer takes the mound, Trevor Bauer absolutely dominates. So what happens last night? Luis Severino, a, a very, I know he ended up giving up three runs, but to me, a very, like, <laughs> a very front of the rotation Yankees yeah. starter, you know, in a key situation start. And Bauer is done after less than two. And then, again, smart thing to me, they stayed in the game. But if you look at what you know, what Cleveland did. They didn't use anyone in that game, any reliever, in a game where their starter was done in less than two innings. And I don't know, Danny Salazar is probably the lone pitcher who you would say you would be hesitant to use in your next game. Right. And just when I say hesitant, I'd still say you could use them. Right. But they basically said an inning here, an inning there, two two outs here, two outs there. We're going to get through this game. We're staying. We're still competitive in it. Do you think that's how they're going to handle it, or do you think Corey Kluber's going to get the ball and they're going to, like, scatter? I think they're going to give the ball to Corey Kluber, and maybe if it's the seventh or eighth inning, but I think their plan is to ride Corey Kluber as far as possible. I think their plan is Because he's better than all those matchup I think guys. He's plan- I think their plan is to ride Corey Kluber for 25 batters. I think it's probably deeper if he's pitching better. I, I, that's what, I, I think that what we've seen now is, is this is where we ha- – the numbers generally, again, we are now in a numbers-based baseball society. I, and I agree and the with num- you. And the, the numbers, numbers are that Corey Kluber's pretty much better, even when he's tired, than most of those other guys, JJ. Not all of them, but most of them. And right now, I think he's better than Andrew Miller late. I'd take my chances with Corey Kluber over Andrew Miller right now. Maybe not with Cody Allen. But right now, the Yankees don't seem too flummoxed by that Cleveland bullpen. I want Corey Kluber at his best. I'm not saying he's going to throw a complete game, but again, and I think in general you're right. But I think if you have the right pitcher in the right moment, I do think that guys like Mickey Calloway and Terry Francona are going to take that Corey Kluber at his best. But it all depends on 
how good Kluber is. And in game two, the Yankees got to Corey Kluber for for sure. Um, but uh, but no, I just but I do look at it, and I don't mean it from the standpoint of that they're going to get Kluber out of there after four or five. But I mean it from the standpoint of you're now into the <laughs> you you had a game where your your starter basically did not give you innings at all, and still everyone is right, available. available. Oh, I got yeah. it. I mean, I, I know that everyone will be ready. But I do think their plan A is Corey Kluber but, as long as Corey Kluber. By the can way, Dellen Batansis now. <laughs> wow. Is there going to be any ability? I mean, if if the Yankees, I, I I'll put it this way: if the Yankees win this series, is he on the next series? Is roster? he on the next roster? And I don't think. Well, as, it's crazy, JJ, because earlier in the series, in the game, what was a game two? He was ridiculous. Oh, he was. He was so good. So. But you can't. But again, when you just talk about from a playoffs, the mechanics of a playoffs, you're already using your bullpen very heavily. I don't know if you can carry Batances on your roster when if Batances comes into a game anything other than a complete blowout. You have to have an extra reliever up and getting warm before he ever enters the game because if the game's anywhere close and you go, well, we got bad Dellen today, right. you need to be ready. To go out there and get him almost immediately. The and way that's... they've used him makes it feel like he's not going to be on the next roster because this is what you just said. I mean, like, Dylan Batances is not on the roster. He's probably not the best guy if you're using him, if he's your in case of emergency break glass guy. That's not they what he's supposed to be there. Exactly. So if they need a guy who we're only going to use you when we're behind or when it's a blowout, then you probably have someone else you that you would use rather someone, use. You want to use someone, someone who's going to give go you... deeper yeah, to the game. If it's the exactly. 11th and we need you to go to the 16th, we Correct. can get five innings out of you. So, I mean, we're answering the question right here. It's really all up to their own evaluation of do they think Dylan Batances that we saw in that blowout in, in the earlier in the series, I guess it was... Actually, it was game two and it was late and it was tight. Yeah. Um, and he was nasty. Can they get that guy back? But game four, Dylan was just... I mean, it was like, where was the bull? I mean, like, uh, what's his name? I think it was Vasgersian said, hit bull win steak. Yeah. Right movie reference, wrong moment, but I'm right. still going to give Matty Vasgersian credit. Because, again, it was. It was, it was a little was he, was, he was. He was. He was He was a little nuke. 12 pitches, four strikes. And, it was ugly. And that doesn't fully summarize. Like, cause it oh, wasn't, absolutely not. It wasn't, he wasn't missing by an inch. He wasn't missing by a foot. He was missing by feet. He had scatter, fastball. Like, he had no idea where the ball was going. I would, I would actually, I would actually wonder if, uh, if several of those pitches did not show up. Like when you show, like the, you know, like yeah, the, the box, yeah. the box, like cannot be pictured. I mean, that was how far you know they were away from. But I am also, <laughs> I'm glad that that's going to a game five because that is that's been a thrilling series, and it going five very much fits what we right. would, you know, what we would want to see. To move on to the last one, so we have the the Dodgers sweep the Diamondbacks, and I think the most I, the the thing that everyone the highlight that comes out of that is is understandably Cody Bellinger had the big game. Cody Bellinger had the great catch, which we talked about it on yeah. this podcast yesterday. Cody Bellinger, great defensive first baseman. It is slightly humorous to me. I understand it, but it is humorous to me that that's the play that illustrates how great Bellinger is defensively, yeah. which is really a play of fearlessness more than. The fluidity, the uh, it, to me, it's it's when Bellinger basically scoops up a ball to his right, turns, pivots, throws to second base, and starts the double play. I just love seeing like when there's a play at second, if there's a ground ball to the right side. Sometimes with the Dodgers games, 
you see if there's a force at second, the Bellinger will like be backing up the play, and he'll almost be at second base. I've seen this a couple times in, in, with Dodger games lately. He's just so fast <laughs> for a first baseman and so much more athletic. But the Dodgers, uh, you know, all three runs yesterday, J.J., driven in by rookies. Bellinger with two. Austin Barnes with one. Right. Austin Barnes playing, starting ahead of Yasmani Grandal. We've had this debate in the office. You know, last year we have Austin Barnes in the top 10 for the Dodgers in their top 30. Now he's ahead of Walker Bueller. And that was probably a little light on Walker Bueller. But Austin Barnes, 27 years old coming into the year in the top 10, that's not usually what you do. But that guy can hit. There's a place for that guy as a regular in the big leagues going forward. The real question will be, how often can a guy that size catch in a major league season? But you can see why we ranked him so high. That guy really has ben Badler has of always, Ben Badler, who wrote our Dodgers list, has always been an Austin Barnes believer. He's always loved him. And the thing is, like, how about the Mar- Marlins coming up with two guys, offensive catchers and really good athletes at the same time in Real Mudo and Austin Barnes? And they still have Real Mudo, but I mean, like, it, that's it, it's so hard to develop catching in the big leagues. And they did that, of course. Uh, you know, what, I think that might have been one of the trades where I don't. I guess it's not the same trade, but didn't AJ Ellis wind up in in, in Florida uh, with, with, in Miami? I think he managed their last game this year. Which, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's also part of one of these Logan White drafts. I was looking up the other day for a thirty five hundred dollar signing bonus for AJ Ellis, who got to the big leagues at twenty eight. So Austin Barnes has kind of followed that AJ Ellis development path. Only he's like a flip side kind of player. He's a bat first guy. I just think you know the Dodgers. Uh, I saw the Clayton Kershaw quote where he just said, you know, we've got a really big payroll. We're, you know, we're very fortunate to be in a big market, big payroll, front office that knows what to do with it. And yet two of the lowest paid guys, these two rookies, uh, powering uh, the, the lineup yesterday. And Justin Turner wasn't a huge money signing when they first got him off the scrap heap. Chris Taylor wasn't a big, you know, it's not just the big money guys powering the Dodgers, but some of them certainly have been with uh, between Kershaw, um, you know, and uh, Chase Utley's not a big money guy, but certainly a big deal in their in their clubhouse. And obviously Darvish to have the money to go out and get him. And, and JJ Darvish was good yesterday. So um, very curious to see what happens uh, if we even have a game today. Whether we have a game today or not, we'll talk about tomorrow. But uh, Nationals Cubs, if they were to play today, JJ, gotta feel like the Cubs have a pretty significant advantage with Arietta versus Tanner Roark. If if I'm the Nationals, I like the the first drop falls, and I am like. It, it, dangerous out here, you know. I mean, I really. Too bad this game's not in uh, Washington. The Nationals are notorious yeah. for rain. No, 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 no. You know, there is rain. There is rain somewhere over Virginia. We better put the tarp on. You know, we might get this game in at eleven thirty tonight. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know. I, I had one other question for you. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, just the, if you have, I, mean, I, I've been impressed, honestly. I mean, I know it's the postseason, so we're into every game, but. I've actually been impressed with every broadcast. I've had fun watching these games, not just because of the game. None of the broadcasters or broadcasts have detracted from any of the games. And, in fact, I feel like they've added it. I know some people seem like they're not huge on Smoltz. I guess I saw just because he's he's not all in on what Trevor Bauer does in terms of his pregame routine and his throwing program. But, in general, uh, you know, last year so much was made of Vince Scully and his retirement. Obviously, when you lose Vince Scully, it's a big deal. Um but I feel like uh, the postseason, a, a Joe Buckless postseason, I guess is what I'm saying, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I'm enjoying the broadcast of all oh, the postseasons. Uh, and, they're, and they're, if managers are, are, are brought in to be fired, you know, at some point they're hired to be fired. Managers, yeah. I mean, broadcasters on national broadcast 
are basically there to be mocked because no the reality of it is, is let's just sum this up. If you are a fan of a team right, and you are watching a national broadcast, you without a doubt will believe that they are biased against your team. Why? Because you are used to listening to happy talk. Exactly. It's time to rise and shine. It is something where <laughs> it right. is it is something where it is understandable. The your normal broadcasters are employees of the team. Yeah. I mean Michael Kay was tweeting the other day like, hey it's time for Major League Baseball to have the Homer broadcast like they do in the Final Four. It's like that's college sports. I mean, this I thought it was ridiculous, but, honestly, that he said that, as if there's really some anti-Yankee bias. But in the again, broadcast. what it Come is on. though is is that you are used to, if you are a broadcaster, and there are a lot of really good broadcasters who do, you know, who do, you know, they're the team broadcaster. But the way you get fired as a team broadcaster is by being critical. As it has been true for 40 years. I always go back to uh, when uh, Red Barber was the Yankees broadcaster, and CBS owned the team, and they panned over empty Yankee Stadium like in 1972 or 73, and he was like, I guess the list of attendance was like 6,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine the Yankees with 6,000 season ticket holders? And they just panned the whole stadium, and it's empty, and he's like, yep, there it is. I mean, like, and what his, as he narrates the pictures of how empty it is, uh, he gets fired. I mean, this is the history of baseball broadcasting. Yes, so, and so... And so again, what that means is, is that you are going to, without a doubt, hear a national broadcast and say, they are biased against my team. Right. Not because they are, but because they will say things critical. Yeah. They will say that your left fielder has the range of about three feet. They right. will say, and again, now at the same time, the thing that is, and I feel like that generally this has been done very well, is, is what you ask of the national broadcaster, because... The tough part about that in 2017 is if you're a national broadcaster, and I thought they've done a really good job of this too, in most cases, is you really have to work hard yes. because you have to understand you are broadcasting in the playoffs to fans who, in a lot of cases, now you can watch every game if you're a diehard fan. You can, and the they. Love, the fans' level of sophistication. Of the sophisticated fan is higher than it used to be. And so what that means is, is that if you don't do a lot of homework, you know less about the team you are talking about. Correct. Than the fans you are talking. Now, there are advantages you have. If you're a pitcher, you may still pick out things that they're not going to pick. If you're a hitter, you may see things where it's like that, that, that the sophisticated fan will not pick out. Right. But when you talk about what this guy does, what this, you know, all these things, the reality of it is, is that, if you don't do a lot of homework, you're telling them things that are obvious to them. You're telling them things. And that's where this, again, I just look at it and say it's an incredibly difficult job because yeah. you are a, you are trying to serve very different audiences because if I'm a Cubs fan and I'm watching that game, stuff that you tell me to tell me something that I don't know is a very high bar. But at the same time, there's also casual fans who don't check in until the playoffs, right. who have no rooting interest in this game watching it. And for them, you if you're only doing that, well, they need to know, as crazy as it sounds, they need to know that, you know, hey, they, they Chris be, Bryant's really good. They need, they need to explain to them, oh, well, here's what happened with David Price and David and right. Dennis Eckersley. They need to explain. That's where I'm th- and that's actually one of the things I think of that they've done very well. I also thought in the Cubs-Nats game yesterday, it wasn't so much the broadcast, but it was the broadcast itself. That game was really intense. 
And I thought that, I guess that was on TBS, right? That game really brought out the intensity and the high level of play in a one nothing at the time game. And they didn't do it by totally dwelling on Scherzer's no-hitter. They did it by showing like the defensive play that Zobris made going to his left when Trey Turner actually, started, shocker of shockers, hit the ball hard. Um, but Zobris made that play to his left and came up so fired up. They didn't overdo it. They just let the pictures do the talking. C.J. Edwards coming off the field. But then that shot of Bill Murray pointing at, mm-hmm. at C.J. Edwards and laughing. and being like, I thought that the broadcast did a great job of capturing that intensity and I thought the Cubs fans actually just – the fact that we had – I do think it added to, to yesterday, to how great of a day of baseball it was yesterday, that one of the games was in Fenway Park and one of the games was in Wrigley Field. And you had the crazy bounces with the Devers inside the park home run. You had the shots of Jim Crane right there next to the Astros dugout. He probably could have said, hey, AJ, bunt on this. And like, <laughs> I know you guys don't bunt, but I want to bunt. You know, like um, – he, he, so those two – Old ballparks, those two, uh, you know, those things that you have like two degrees of, of Kevin Bacon when you're in those ballparks, um, added a little bit yesterday. And the finishing touch on the whole day was the Dodgers sweeping the Diamondbacks and the police surrounding the pool. The pool will <laughs> remain unbesmirched. And Andy McCullough, to his credit, to, for the Los Angeles Times, tweeting in all caps, they've surrounded the pool. I mean, that was that was the way I woke up this morning, was checking my Twitter and being like, oh, that is really hilarious. And seeing the pictures of these of the cops surrounding the pool. There would be no Dodger celebration in the pool. And instead, the very understated moment of Sandy Koufax and Clayton Kershaw in the clubhouse. That was really cool. So, uh, sorry for the Diamondbacks and Red Sox. Congratulations on great seasons, but uh, those are over. And looking forward to the rest of the playoffs. But yesterday, I thought J.J. was just uh, a really great day of playoff baseball. Oh, yeah. And the the other thing that stands out to me is we're not there yet. But right now, we have two teams that have moved on. And for all we talk about the randomness of the playoffs, right now, two of two undisputed, clearly best teams in baseball this year are playing in the LCS. And yes. we'll see, you know, we will see what happens going further from this. But it is very possible, we are still sitting in a situation where it's very possible that the four teams with the best records and, you know, the best records are going to be in the LCSs. And that is... And if not, then one of the team, the two teams that could replace them are the team with 27 World Series championships and the defending World Series champions. So we're going to have pretty intense league championship series. Right. And it's, it's, it is hard to believe we are only starting this. I yeah. Mean, you know, <laughs> because it is. It the is, it is intense. The, it is so intense. You know, the fatigue has not set in yet, but it is, I mean, the reality of it is, is they talk about 162 as a grind, but the playoffs are, I mean, if you are, again, I, I will be fascinated to see the one thing with all of this, call it creative, call it inventive, all this bullpen usage, we saw, and you've talked about it, we saw in game seven of the World Series last year that both bullpens reached their limit. <sighs> And it was <laughs> and it was dragging themselves across the finish line. Yeah. And we are now having, again, most every team that has at least had one game where it's like the bullpen is ruling this game. And in many cases, it's been more than one. It's been we only haven't seen that really in the Nats Cubs. Right. That's the only series we haven't seen. Other than that, we're talking about where we're talking about a lot of times with 
we're, we're talking a lot of times about starters who work so hard yeah. that it's a good four. It's I like, mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but it is. It's like, you gave me a good four. You, yeah. you worked really hard. It took you 88 pitches. Pat on the back. You know, and so... I mean, we're talking about a game last night in Arizona where it was clear that everybody was covering that game that Zach Greinke should not come out for the sixth inning. <laughs> you know, he's Zach Greinke. And he was done through five, and he'd only given up two runs. Right, and you did. It was something where you said, nope, that was, you know... Good, good job doing what you can. Yes. I think that's the part I don't give enough credit to is I really do think that the job of the starting pitcher is just so much harder. That, Like you said, really, 25 batters really is. Like if Corey Kluber does that, I think you're, ultimately I think you're right. If he goes 25 batters and leaves the lead, that's really that's exceptional, which makes you realize what he did in the postseason last year was truly uh, very rare. And uh, if someone does that, through three levels of playoffs, like Madison Bumgarner in 2014, that's where we really see that that is true greatness. That's just the degree of difficulty for the heroic starting pitcher is much higher, I think, than it's ever been. And it, especially, again, we're talking about a situation where pretty much everyone in the lineup can hit a home run at any point. And we see these games turn on, you know, Justin Verlander comes in and one okay it's you know okay and you know you have you've given up the lead or you have Chris Sale going one inning too long and it's okay there's the home run when and when pretty much everyone in the lineup can hit a home run what that means is is that you are if it's a two run game you're you are literally at any moment with the best pitcher that you can have best starting pitcher you can have on the mound you are Five, you are less than two minutes away from this game could be tied because yep. all you have to do is one guy gets on, one guy hits a homer. These so, leads are not safe. I mean, that's in some of these games. Uh, only you know, they're they're very few easy outs. I mean, like maybe Giovanni Urshela is is an easy out, but in some of these games, the Dodgers are hitting Puig eighth. These are not Rafael Belliard is not walking through that door. Uh, you know, or Kelly Stinnett is not walking through that door. By the, the way, I would the, say before this, Daniel Del Calso, but Daniel Del Calso, you know, in, ends up, hero you know, ends up being, so. which again, sums up just like, You're if right. he can hit a couple of homers in a series, you, there's no one that you can be like, okay, well, don't worry. We can let our starter, we can, we can eat an inning here because it's the bottom of the lineup. So we can get him and then we'll bring our reliever in next inning for the top of the lineup. No, that doesn't happen anymore. It's a different brand of baseball. Um, I think it's been a delicious brand of baseball so far, and I'm looking forward to the rest of it. So, and we'll take you through it all postseason here on the Baseball America podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in today. Our podcast and all of our Facebook lives are brought to you by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code BA SHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and much more today. For JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. See you tomorrow on the next Baseball America podcast, and we'll see you later today on another Facebook Live. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.